general. He became a slave. A slave who became a gladiator. A gladiator who defied an emperor. Striking story. Hello, welcome back, everybody. It is episode 15 of Popcorn Society. I am one of your hosts, Bryn, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime, Troy. Hi there, how you doing? What's going on? How you feeling tonight? I'm feeling good, Bryn. Ready to do another episode of the Popcorn Society. And you don't have to call me Bryn. You can call me Maximus Decimus Meridius. Father of a murdered son. Husband's right. Murdered wife. That's right. Okay. One, one of the greatest lions in all of cinema. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. Commander of the armies of the North. General of the Felix Legions. Loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son. Husband to a murdered wife. And I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Are you going to get vengeance on me? <laughs> I will have vengeance in this life or the next. I was going to recite that whole thing, but like I'm a little fuzzy on some of the parts, but I should have practiced it. If you haven't guessed by now, tonight's episode is Gladiator. As Troy and I are going to take a walk down some movies that have won Best Picture during this award season in Hollywood. And today, we're going to bring you some Gladiator from the year 2000. But we will get there soon enough, Troy. What else is on your mind? Are you watching any football? Are you excited for Super Bowl? Are you excited for any uh, more awards coming up? I think the first thing is the Academy Award nominations were revealed earlier this week. Yes. How do you feel about those? I know there's a lot of talk about the snubs, but I feel like there's always a snub and there's always yeah. controversy about who was nominated and who did get nominated, who deserved to be nominated. Most of the talk around the snub of, of Barbie. Barbie got nominated for Best Picture, but Greta Gerwig did not get nominated for Best Director and Margot Robbie did not get nominated in the actor category. In terms of snubs, I don't really have a problem with it. I mean, I didn't see every single performance, so I can't say this person wasn't deserving of nomination. And Barbie's still got plenty of nominations. I, I don't think it's that big a deal. It's a little blown out of proportion, in my opinion. I think we might have talked about this before, though. I don't like that they nominate so many films these days for Best Picture. There's like, well, like 10. It used to be five. It used to be a hard 10, but now... It, they've amended it to be, it can go up to 10. So not every year it's 10. Mm -hmm. And they thought it used think... to be a hard five. Like only five. No, it did. It, it used to be a hard five. Right, right. Hard five. And then they upped it to a hard 10. Like there was always 10. And then they amended it a few years ago saying it could be anywhere from five to 10. So I think that's where we're still currently at. That was a attempt to, you know, a lot of people felt that there were a lot of the movies nominated for Best Picture were too artsy, were not for the general public, and there were more film snobs. So the Academy said, okay, we're going to broaden it to include more popular films. Right. And it happened at around 2008 or nine when The Dark Knight was not nominated because there was a hard five. It probably would right. have, I mean, it most certainly would have been nominated if there was a, a higher limit. So I do think you got to go more than five, but when you have 10 pictures, realistically, a lot. You, can, right. you can throw out three or four of those. There's no way they have a chance. Keep it to like the real ones that have a chance of getting the best picture award, in my opinion. 
for the most part, the last few years, I've tended to agree with what they've nominated. I have not seen everything that was nominated this year. The snub of Greta Gerwig. Barbie wasn't my favorite picture of the year. It may be in my top 10. I'm not sure. But it got a Best Picture nomination, which it was a, definitely a popular movie. Right. Uh, the highest grossing movie of the year. I feel like they're going to save one of those Best Picture nominations for whatever was the, the highest grossing picture of the year. I think the Margot Robbie snub is a little more profound. I mean, Greta Gerwig, I don't think she did anything special. I think she did a good job yeah. directing Barbie, but nothing special, nothing fantastic. And she's been nominated before. Yeah. For Lady Bird. And also for Little Women. That's why I don't feel like it's that big of a snub. They recognized her before, and I think those other films she was nominated for, she really deserved it. I don't think this one, she did anything really special. But the Margot Robbie thing, I, I do feel that's a little weird because Ryan Gosling got nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He did a great job, but I think Margot Robbie was a superior actor in the movie. Yeah. She did great. Well, so yeah, it's a competition, too. I mean, maybe, I don't have the list in front of me. Maybe just other actresses were just superior as well in her category. It could have been just one of those kind of years where it was hard to put better in the top. There's a hard count on that, like five, I think, right? Right. And I don't feel sorry for Margot Robbie either. She's been nominated before. She's won before. That's why these things can be kind of political. It's not oh, always sure. about who's the most deserving. I b believe sometimes the most deserving doesn't win it. It's not for this particular movie, but you've been snubbed before and you've had a lifetime, so... We're finally just going to give it to you because this is probably your last opportunity to get an Oscar. And I so, think, too, when it comes to the best picture, you could really just count the the pictures that have the most overall nominations, like the top three, but it's going to be one of those three. When a picture has multiple nominations, 12 nominations amongst all these categories, another picture has 10 nominations, another picture has nine nominations, and another picture has like two Usually the ones that have so many nominations across the board are going to be, it's going to be one of those films that's going to take home the prize. So a little predictable, you know, as far as that goes. Again, if I had to put any money on it, I'd, I'd say without seeing all the movies, still harder. <laughs> I'd, I'd still be surprised if Oppenheimer did not come away as a big winner. Uh, it led the pack too, right? I think it yeah. had the most nominations. I think that's probably going to be the biggest winner. Probably a lot in technical achievement awards. Christopher Nolan, there's a good chance he could win Best Director. I think this is his crowning achievement in regards to his directing ability in this movie and the popularity of the movie as well. This is a critical favorite and did well at the box office. The subject matter is heavy. Those are almost all things that the Academy loves. It'll be a crowning night for Christopher Nolan and Oppenheimer. I don't think Killian Murphy's going to win. Paul Giamatti is the front runner right now. And I think he's going to win for Best Actor. Robert Downey is the front runner for Best Sporting Actor. I think he's definitely going to win. I think it'll win for Best Picture. I think it'll win Best Director and Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. Answer me this, though. I think maybe you know this. I, I've read it somewhere in the past, though. But being nominated is still a very big deal. But don't they get like these amazing gift bags, for lack of better terms, as nominees? with thousands and thousands of dollars worth of goodies and just being nominated, you get all these perks. Oh, yeah. Do you know what they are? I, I don't have them in front of me, but, like, they get ridiculous stuff. Their swag bag is 
pretty famous. There's been pr plenty of write-ups of what's in the swag bag. Some years they've had jewelry. Top designers will put handbags in there. I read one year, just the swag bag was worth $50,000. Even the nominees are doing okay. They're getting plenty of stuff to, to take home and have a little fun with. Well, good stuff on the award season. We have a few more weeks before uh, the Academy Awards aren't even until March. So we'll definitely get a couple more episodes in before that. Kind of on the topic, though, of actors and awards and all that stuff, Troy, I was kind of curious, what are some of your favorite all-time actors? Do you have a couple that are on your list that just come to mind as your favorite actors? Whether they won an award or not, maybe they just, you've always had adoration for them. We went in depth about our love for Tom Cruise last podcast. Yes, but he's not so, our favorite actor, is he? He's definitely one of my favorites. Jack Nicholson is probably mm -hmm. my favorite actor. He has done so many different types of roles, and he has killed it in, I think, just about every movie he has done. Robert De Niro is also up there. When I think of actors, too, like how good they are, if they can cross over from one genre to the next, I mean, there's an actor and all he does is action films. Even though he might be great in all of them, I don't think he has to range. Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's definitely an, an action, He's an action star. star. He's never going to win a, an Academy yeah. Award. You're never going to see him in a remake of Schindler's List. Daniel Day-Lewis, I think. Yeah, You're talking about some of the best actors of all time. Those are some some heavy hitters on your list. There. That's, they're all pretty old. I'll give you that. Maybe we should... Name a one or two, you know, in the the forty or under club. Why don't Why don't you give me one of your favorite actors? I think um, one of my favorite actors of all time has to be Harrison Ford. It goes without saying. I don't know if he's ever won an Academy Award. I don't think he's ever won an, an Oscar. He's um, been nominated, but he has nominated him for The Witness or Witness, right? Uh, for Witness back in the eighties. And man, that guy's an icon uh, for obvious reasons. On Solo. Um, Indiana Jones, so he is always in the favorite of mine. Uh, Tom Hanks, again, these are older guys again, but Tom Hanks has won multiple awards. Can't argue with that guy's resume, all-time great. <clears throat> if I had to give you one that was like the younger generation, Andrew Garfield is a pretty damn good actor. He has range. He's done big movies, indie movies. He's he's won uh, acting awards for movies. He's, a, I think, a younger guy that has, he's not that young, he's about 40, but tons of talent. Other than he was in the Spider-Man movies, I don't think he's on a lot of people's radar. So, yeah. um, boom, he was amazing in that. Oh, he was great in that. But once again, not a movie that a lot of people saw, Right. I think, because of the subject matter. What about Leo? Do you like Leo? I don't know. He's kind of older, too. He's so He wouldn't qualify as young anymore. He's probably, what, in his mid-40s, late-40s? He, Leo's, he doesn't, like, move the needle for me. I don't really get excited because Leo's in that movie. He's young if you consider the women he dates. <laughs> Andrew Garfield, I think, is 40, isn't he? He's a little... He's 40. I think he's born in 83. Uh, yeah. Miss me. Let's oh, talk thanks. about a, a somebody under 30. Like, what do you think of Timothy Chalamet? He's good. I haven't seen a lot of his work. He's definitely getting casting and casting everything these days. Um but yeah, the dude's got some acting chops, I'd say. I mean, he's he's definitely an A-list actor. I think he's probably the Leonardo of his generation. He's going to have that type of appeal. He, he obviously has the good looks. He's been doing some serious stuff. He, 
He's done Wonka, which I haven't seen, but I hear he's kind of the best thing about that movie. But he could be the next big, highly acclaimed uh, actor. He's got Dune Part 2 coming out in 2024. Uh, he's an up-and-comer. He's probably only like, what, 22, 23, 24? Well, I wanted to just, you know, give some actors some love. As if they didn't have enough accolades and, and roses thrown their way. The swag bags that they're given at these Academy Awards, the accolades they're given, the little statuettes is nothing compared to a thumbs up from the Popcorn Society. That's right. That we is should, a... We should make a Popcorn Society award and just give it to them in the mail and they'll be right next to their Oscar. I mean, it's just as prestigious. Give it to them in the mail? No, they have to come and get it from us. <laughs> Wasn't there a, I think, an award that used to be like a, a popcorn? Like was it the MTV Movie Awards? It was like a, a bronze or gold like popcorn statue? It was the MTV Music Awards, yes. <laughs> it, it, was, like it was a little popcorn, like a box of popcorn with, yeah, and it was a little gold one. <laughs> yeah, I think ours would look something like that. But, you know, we'll add our Ours, ours will be platinum. That's right. And, and edible. It'll be a platinum box with caramel popcorn inside. That's right. That's kind of, that's kind of gold colored, maybe. Sprinkled with some gold dust. That you Yeah, man. Good stuff. I, I think actors, uh, obviously, I played a pivotal role in Hollywood. There was an actor strike recently, and they're, they're certainly very important to our lives in, in the entertainment world. And and we're looking forward to see what the awards season brings for them this year. But let's shift to directors, Troy, as we talk about our movie of the day <clears throat> that did win Best Picture in the year 2000, the one, the only, Gladiator. And this is directed by Ridley Scott. And I was looking up Ridley Scott, and I, I kind of knew some films he did, but like, man, he has a very good resume of films. A lot of films that I, I really like and like I've really identified with, and they've been, you know, on my list for a long time of, of good movies. Uh, just to name a few, these are just a few of the movies, not all of them. I'll highlight some here. He did recently uh, Napoleon in 2023. I did not see that one. Um, also recently, The Last Duel, House of Gucci, 2021. The Martian in 2015. I love that movie, The Martian, with Matt Damon. Great film there. Exodus, Gods and Kings. That was somewhat of a plot for him. I only saw half of it, I think, for Falling Asleep. Again, um, not all of these are like my favorite, but definitely some hitters in here. Prometheus, 2012, love that film. Hannibal, 2001. Thelma and the Wheeze, classic film, 1991. And these two that are back, you know, going back 40 years. Blade Runner, oh my gosh, Blade Runner, and Alien. So this guy has done some amazing films. Again, doesn't bat a thousand, but no director does. But you can't argue, and this is just some of the, the movies he's done, not all of them. You can't argue with what Ridley Scott has accomplished as a director. Troy, what's your thoughts on on Ridley Scott? Ridley Scott used to be a director that if his name was attached to it, I would go see the movie. But he's really been, I think lately he's had more misses than wins. I Do you like The Martian? The Martian, I did like. I think yeah, that was like probably... That the last Ridley Scott movie that I really enjoyed. I thought that was really good. I did not enjoy Prometheus. Hannibal was okay. Um, I did not like his Robin Hood. Felt, but his early stuff, Alien, love it. Blade Runner, Thelma and Louise, all fantastic. Great, I just, great movies. Iconic films. Yes. So he's kind of been... And Gladiator. Uh, and, you know, of course. And... Of course, Gladiator, and we'll get into Gladiator really soon. But 
he's not a name where I will just automatically go out and see a movie of his anymore. I'll kind of wait for the reviews. Like right now, I would see anything that Christopher Nolan is attached to. I would just automatically see it until, you know, he puts out some flops in, in a row. But, um, yeah, lately, Ridley Scott, he's, he's older. Guy. Yeah. He can, oh, that's he a bad get, thing. He can but... get any budget he wants as well. So he can make something like a Napoleon, and he doesn't have to worry about the studios. They're going to be, oh, it's Ridley Scott. Sure, give him this money. Napoleon was, I think, a box office disappointment. Did you see it? I did not. Just, the reviews were not that great. I'll probably see it when it comes out on streaming and give it a... Because it is Ridley Scott. I'll watch it. I'm sure. just not necessarily going to go out to a theater. And it, it Napoleon didn't get much love from the Academy as well. So it didn't. I I'm not even interested in the topic, though. Maybe if the film was good, I'd be like inclined to see it. But I don't really care about a movie about Napoleon. I mean, I think Napoleon is a fascinating historical figure. Napoleon, I dynamite, maybe not Napoleon. <laughs> no, I I think Napoleon is fascinating. I think five years ago, if you told me Ridley Scott was directing this, I'd have been the first in line. But his last few th movies have not been that great. I like the last duel was. I think I, I enjoyed that more than a lot of other people yeah. enjoyed it. I, I fell asleep watching that movie again. Yeah. It could have been because I'm a tired dad, um, or it could have been the movie just didn't really capture me the way it should have but right had a good but cast that, most of his movies had good casts but there was nothing special about the directing i've i felt from a director's chair point of view because a lot of the stuff that we'd seen before the story was was interesting it was kind of like that rashomon from different perspectives kind of story um so nothing really new but i i did enjoy the film i just didn't think it was anything special yeah I really like Prometheus a lot. You didn't like it. It's like an, an alien prequel story. Um, I liked how it was in that alien universe. It took place before Alien, and it connected a little bit of the dots, but still was like not connecting to the original Alien. So there were some definitely some gaps where you didn't know how this was going to end up where Alien started. He did try to start. He did fill that in a little bit of Alien Covenant, which I did not like uh, that much at all. But Prometheus, before Alien Covenant came out, was great. I, I liked the mystery of it, like trying to think about how this would eventually turn into like the alien we know. And I don't know, it was just captivating. It was scary. Um, you don't even see like the, the traditional xenomorph aliens in there, really. Um, hardly at all. So I don't know. I like that film, but you didn't like it, like it as much. I I did not. I you the plot like the one worse <laughs> even worse the I think the plot hole in Prometheus was just too big for me to ignore and so that kind of just got me set off on the wrong foot and I mean there's a couple of plot holes but and it, I felt like it's the same thing we've seen from Ridley Scott you know the he kind of had that dark palette and I thought Michael Fassbender was great. I think he was the best thing about the movie. He did excellent as, was it David? Was that the name? Yeah. And what about yeah. Numi? Numi Rapachi. She's always good. Yeah. Uh, there was I seen in that movie, though, when she has that alien, like, in her... In her womb? Her womb. That, and like, she goes grew. to get the... Yeah, it gets, like, taken out. That was, yeah, like, she goes oh. to get the abortion, the alien abortion. Yeah, that, that was just... Ugh. Man, it gives me chills. That's a... That's a crazy scene right there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Ridley Scott, uh, he, he's done enough good in this world that he's going to, like you said, he's going to get the big budgets. 
I I don't know if he's coming. If he's got well. We'll get into this later. He does have more films on on the slate coming up this year, but um, but man, he does have a brother too that did pass away. Tony Scott, we should mention. I don't know what year he passed away. Uh, might have been like wasn't wasn't that 90s, long ago, or was it like late early two thousands? Oh no, it, it wasn't that long ago that Tony Scott passed away. Really? Well, okay. let's let's also say I mean he, he committed suicide. Okay, I didn't remember that fact, but uh, Tony Scott, the brother of Ridley Scott. He directed Top Gun. That's all you need right. to know. We don't need to go into everything. He passed away in 2012. Okay. Well, I am way off on that. The fact is that he's dead. And yes. uh, he's the brother of Ridley Scott. So they come from a... It's pretty cool. You have two brothers that have done some some pretty big films. And I think his directing in this movie, Gladiator, was top-notch as well. <clears throat> and we'll dive more into that as well. Any, any final thoughts before we dive into the, the cast and the composer on Ridley Scott? Uh, no, I'd actually like to dive into the, the, the score, the score dude. you know, I love some good score and you know, I love some good Hans Zimmer, who was the composer of Gladiator, him and Lisa Gerard did this film. We've talked about it before, Troy, you and I are big Hans Zimmer fans. We've been to Hans Zimmer concert. We've heard Gladiator play played in concert and, uh, he actually knocked it out of the park this this time as well with Gladiator, with Lisa Gerard. Talk, talk to us more about the score. What do you like about it? Man, I will tell you, that opening scene where they're fighting, where the Roman army is going up against the the Germanic uh, barbarian horde, or mm-hmm. that, and, and the music, when that battle starts and the music just starts swelling up, I was just, it's just, Awesome, right? Fantastic. Like I to me, this is what an epic sword and sandal movie should sound like and feel like. Just you know, he's got the that the horns and and the drums and the percussion, and it's yeah. just it it fits perfectly with the movie. And I have to do in that first those always oh, ten minutes, especially when you go to Rome. Obviously, a lot of it's in CGI, but. Ridley Scott does a lot of bird's eye view and you're coming in and the music just swells up. It sweeps you up into that scene. And I think this is probably one of my favorite Hans Zimmer's scores. I remember when it first came out, I listened to it just constantly over and over. And the addition of Lisa Gerard and her vocals and especially at the end, it's just so touching. And every time I hear that at the end, I always tear up just listening to that and and her kind of haunting vocals um it just swells up emotion to me i just yeah. think it's it's almost a perfect score i really it's really, really good. love it i can't verify this but i did read somewhere that this is one of the most um downloaded or played hans zimmer scores out of his, out of his entire library um which may be true I, I could see how that is true i mean i think he's definitely has a lot to choose from and some great scores that i would probably prefer more than this one but uh, man, this was this was good. It does sound a little bit like *Pirates of the Caribbean*. Erin uh, made that comment while we we're watching the film. She's like, "Who did the score?" I saw. I said, "On Zimmer." Oh yeah, it does sound a little bit like *Pirates of the Caribbean*. <laughs> no, there are some parts that sound exactly. This overture is just a most perfect piece of writing that I can't top it. So I'm just gonna copy it and put it into another movie, which <laughs> is kind of what he did. He got away uh, with it. Running did get. Yeah, nobody cares, right? It, and it, only true Hans Zimmer people like me, you, and Aaron would probably catch that. 
He did also incorporate some classical music. He uses some of Gustav Holtz from the planets, from the Mars piece, when they're doing the Battle of Carthage in the Colosseum. Mm-hmm. That music in there is straight from Holtz, the planets, the the Mars um, sequence of that. Yeah. And but he it, he uses it to great effectiveness. You know, I'm not opposed to a music or you know somebody bringing in other classical composers music into a movie if it fits well right sure and i think putting the mars sequence into that first battle of carthage was just awesome it was so this score i have to say is probably one of my favorite scores i think it fits it fits the movie perfectly and it was nominated if i'm not mistaken for the best score at the academy award did not win it did not Um, but but there was nominated and there was a little bit of controversy because there was a rule at the time where there could not be two composers for this nominated for the same score. So only Hans Zimmer was nominated, even though in the credits it is Hans Zimmer and Lisa Gerard are yeah. credited as the composers of the score. Yeah. I don't know if that rule still exists or what it or how it exists these days, because I do know there are other times where Hans Zimmer was left out of nominations because of his his work on uh, The Dark Knight. He did it with James Newton Howard. Right. They were able to be nominated because they were probably equally involved with that score. And for the nomination, it has to be one person, right? So right. kind of disqualifies well, them in some cases. They have since changed it because a lot of scores now are written by two, especially a lot of the modern things. You know, like there's um, Trent Reznor and Atticus... Uh, I forget. They they do a lot of scores together, and they actually won one. Um, so they have changed the rules since yeah. that. And he's where there can be. He, he, Hans Zimmer has won for Lion King. He's been oh, he's won several yeah. times. He just won recently for Dune Part One. Um, one of his other nominations that I really like his score is probably lesser known is Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. Um, it's a really catchy score. Um, yeah, the movie is is okay, but like his score was was really fascinating. He did a great job for that movie as well. Yes, and um, and speaking of Lisa Gerard, Hans Zimmer, um, he actually brought her in to help him do because he wanted to put some vocals into it, and that was her main contribution to it. Was you know she was the, uh writing the vocals, a lot of backing vocals for a lot of the pieces and and some of the music. And there were a lot of people who thought that it was Enya that was the backing mm-hmm. vocals. And, um, but it's actually Lisa Gerard who is, I mean, their voices are kind of similar, but man, she does a great job too. Just like that final scene you know, where Maximus is kind of walking through the wheat field, going to see his family. Yeah, dude. It like it's almost just, has me in tears. Every it's time. One of, those mo- one of those moments in cinema where like the score is woven perfectly with what's happening in the film. And it, it's like it grabs your your heart, your emotion. It's just like perfect score, perfect emotional time of the movie. And like when those go hand in hand and they work in conjunction um, like that, and it's just it's almost like movie magic, you know, it really can grab you in, in ways that you will always remember in cinema. And that is a, a example of that at the end when he's like passing away. Yeah, you know, going to his family and the music's playing, and you're like, you want to cry. So I'm not surprised if it this is his most downloaded piece of music or it might be ever. Yeah. It, it might be. It, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna listen to it to, I'm gonna listen to it tomorrow when I'm <laughs> when I'm working from home and on some on Zimmer and my headphones and 
and uh, you know, be productive. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. All right, let's talk about the cast. Um, there's some good people here to to dissect a little bit. Um, obviously, we cannot talk about the cast without Russell Crowe as our leading man, Maximus, uh, Joaquin Phoenix as Commodus, uh, a few others of uh, noteworthiness here. Connie Nelson plays Lucilla, Richard Harris as Marcus Rilius. We also know Richard Harris from the first two Harry Potter films as Dumbledore. Uh, he plays uh, Caesar in this film before he is, is uh, murdered by Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, Oliver Reed as Proximo. And this guy's name, I'm going to mess up, Digimon Hansui. Hansu? As... Digimon Hansu, yeah. Duba. Duba. Who has actually been in some notable films the last 15, 20 years. So this is one of the first ones I remember him in, but he's done pretty well for himself. Um, but those are kind of the headliners. Russell Crowe, as you know, he's won awards. He's a phenomenal actor. He's been in huge movies, been in small movies. And I think he was perfectly cast for uh, Maximus in, in Gladiator. And it's pretty much his movie along i think with joaquin phoenix as commodus like they are kind of like um yin and yang like two different sides of the same quarter almost or same coin and joaquin phoenix does a phenomenal job as, as commodus as well as the uh the evil bad guy in this film but uh, you like russell crowe i do i think this period you know around the 2000s russell crowe was just knocking it out of the park right mm-hmm. he I think he was nominated. He was in The Insider, I think, the year before was the nominated. Beautiful, beautiful Mind is what he, he was in. A Beautiful Mind. I think he won for that, or at least nominated for that. I think he won that after. And right. um, yeah, so I think he had a period there where he was just killing it and was, you know, I think just nominated for everything he was in. Almost he had a Tom Hanks moment there because I think there. Tom Hanks was just being nominated. Um, I would say, you know, in the, in the mid nineties for everything. And then he gave way to Russell Crowe, who yeah. was just knocking it out of the park. I don't think this is his best performance ever. Um, but I'm, I'm not upset that he won for best actor, but no, uh, I, I could see why he won. I think sometimes I think a little bit of the popularity of the movie, maybe boosted him a little bit in this film. Not to say he didn't do a fantastic job, but uh, I think he has done better performances as an actor in other films. I loved him, in, even though it's not like an Academy Award type of performance, but I think he was perfectly cast as um, Jarrell in Man of Steel. Um, it's a great movie I like in terms of superhero films. Underrated, I think, but I like I liked his role as uh, the father of Superman in that film. Right. I mean, there hasn't really been anything that he's terrible in. He's he's another solid actor that... I don't know. Have you seen uh, Thor, Love and Thunder? I don't know about you know, that one. Here's the thing. I actually enjoyed him in that. I thought his take on Zeus was interesting, to say the least. But, you know, at least he committed. And he... He went committed. And he committed. Yeah. And so... But... Not what you think of, of Zeus to be, if you would have guessed, but he definitely played him a specific way. <laughs> the only thing I will criticize Russell Crowe in is his singing voice in Les Mis. I think that was not a good casting decision. 
And not because I didn't think Russell Crowe, I think his acting parts are fine. But, and I'm not saying he's a terrible singer. He's a better singer than I am. But I just don't think he had the range and the pitch to do Javert. Javert, I think, is a very demanding vocal role. And I just don't think Russell Crowe had it. I, I would he had the, you on that. He had the look, you know, and I think it was just a straight acting gig and he didn't have to sing. He would have been great. But the fact that he had to sing, eh, I wish they would have cast somebody else. Yeah, not the highlight of that film. Uh, Les Mis, not to get on a tangent here, but not one of my favorite films or plays. I tend to fall asleep, uh, whether it's on TV or if I'm going to it to see it in, in Broadway or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, I know you're a Les Mis fan. You and Aaron love Les Mis. And I'm not saying it's it's bad or whatever, but it's just not my cup of tea. Yeah, Les Mis is my favorite musical of all time. It's the first musical I ever saw. Um, and I saw it on Broadway for the first time. And I was not, the movie kind of, I mean, it had its moments, but as a whole, I did not, I felt like it could have been better. And I, I felt a little let down, a little disappointed by the movie. And part of it is because of Russell Crowe, because <laughs> to me, in, in the stage musical, Javert is, you know, he's got a couple of solos that are just, you really have to nail it. You know, one of them is stars and man. Russell Crowe definitely did not nail it. He, he's not a singer. Not oh, a singer. no. That's why I don't know why he was cast. Why did you cast him? But it doesn't matter. He was great in Gladiator. He was great in A Beautiful Mind. He was great in The Insider. He's a great actor. Yes. That's, that's not that's not bagging him too much just because yeah. he can't sing. I mean, maybe it's not as, his fault. But, I, it's not. You know, well, he could have said no. <laughs> Blame his agent. Yeah, um, he probably got paid handsomely for that. What about Joaquin Phoenix? Tell me about Joaquin Phoenix. It vexes me. I'm terribly vexed. For me, he is also probably an underrated actor for how great his talents are. Maybe because he's a little weird, kind of off camera, um, done some questionable things in terms of, um, you know, one couple years he like was basically doing an acting gig like in the real world pretending to be like some retired actor or was going to get into rock music. Um, yeah, a little bit of a different cat, but he's definitely an amazing performing actor. And this is a little bit in his earlier days still before he really peaked, but I think he's, he can't question the guy's talent. No, I think this is the movie where I finally saw the type of actor that Joaquin Phoenix was going to wind up being her. Because before this, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix was also just known as the younger brother of River Phoenix, right? Right. And he was the younger brother who had the weird lip thing. Mm -hmm. But I think this is the movie, I think this was his first fully adult drama, serious and big, you know, epic movie. And he knocked it out of the park. I mean, he, he was deliciously evil as Commodus. You hated this guy from the moment you saw him on the screen. He was just, and that's what, you know, he wanted that. That's who Commodus was. And Joaquin Phoenix just nailed it. He, yeah. and we said this, how many times have we said this? It's our golden rule, man. It's our golden yep. rule. You got him a great villain and he was a great villain. You hated this guy. Yes. He was just awful. And so you wanted to see him get his comeuppance at the end. And, you know, and 
Joaquin Phoenix, deservedly so, was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. So, mm-hmm. um, I remember Joaquin Phoenix. There's this movie called um, around the same time, maybe one or two years before, because I, I watched it in high school. Um, and Betty the Abbots, remember that film? But oh yeah, Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I think Billy Crudup maybe was in it as well, and and uh, Jennifer Connelly and Liv Tyler. Anyways, I think we went to go see it because there's some topless scenes in the in the film. And as a, a freshman in high school, that was like a good reason to go see a movie. But he was a the main actor in that film. Uh, I think he had a small role back in the '80s, even in the, in the movie called The Parenthood, um, which he did yes. pretty good in. But yeah. uh, again, this is his, probably his biggest to date in 2000. Gladiator would put him on the map as an actor, and wow, he was he was sinister, man. He was scary. I, you know, I, I'm a big horror fan, and I like. Um, Ari Aster, who did uh, Hereditary, he did um, Midsommar, and his newest one, which has Joaquin Phoenix in it, who just, you know, I, I saw it, and the movie itself is a little hard to wrap your head around, and I didn't like it as much of his other movies, but man, Joaquin Phoenix just freaking killed it in that as well, and I thought for sure he was going to get nominated for an Oscar this year because of that and but well, what about is, joker tell me about your your thoughts on Joaquin phoenix's joker film and performance well here's the thing about joker the joaquin phoenix he did great but i also feel like some of that is was building upon heath ledger's joker right okay. i think i can see a lot of the heath ledger joker in joaquin performance so if the Joker had come out before uh, The Dark Knight, then I would have said, my gosh, this is the best take on The Joker ever. But Heath Ledger, his take on The Joker up until that point was, it was completely new, right? I think he did such a different take on The Joker that was fresh, and he did such an awesome job. And I just felt like Joaquin Phoenix just kind of, use that as a base his joker is definitely a little different but i think he used the heath ledger performance as a base for his performance in the joker yeah i could see that i did like i there's things i like and i don't like about joker um what i don't like about it is how it's like its own film in the dc universe not really related to any other film or connected to any other film and again his joker doesn't really have like a a pat to like face off against a, a a batman that we know of so it's its own little film, um, which is fine. But again, I like superhero films to be big and grandiose and connected and all that stuff. Um, but it is, it was disturbing, I thought, in some ways, because it's really grounded like he is a real life, not a real life, but he, in the film, he's like a mental patient, right? You know, he's going, to, he's going to, 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 to get therapy. He has a condition where like he laughs when he's uncomfortable or anxious, right. which is a, a kind of a new twist, a new way to do the Joker. And, you know, there's violence in there. It's pretty realistic. So it, it's almost like a, I mean, it's a different way to do the Joker. And he did a great job. But that film, it's hard to watch that more than once. I watched it once. I, I maybe watched it twice. and like, okay, this movie, it's not as enjoyable to watch, in my opinion. It's a little crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm not a huge fan of, of the Joker. It, it does take some liberties. And this is just me being a big comic book fan and a big Batman fan. It took some weird takes on the character, mm-hmm. which they never went fully developed. 
So, and who knows, maybe, I know they're doing a sequel, so maybe in the sequel they'll, you know, the, the angle they were pulling with, you know, the possibility of um, Bruce Wayne and the Joker being related, I thought, oh God, they're not really going down this path, are they? Yeah. So, I think that would have been too much of a stretch for that. Um, but you can't have a Joker without a Batman. You, you know, you're right. To play opposite of him, and they this film, these films aren't even going in that direction at all. It's just right. Well, like like we said, you a good film has a good protagonist and a good antagonist, and you need them together. And you're right, there was no good. It was hard to tell. Was Joker the protagonist or was he the antagonist? Did you feel sorry for the Joker, or did you like? Was he, I know he's kind of meant to be an anti-hero, but I like my Joker as the villain. I want the Joker to be the villain. Yeah. And so, you know, you it was just... And they kick his ass. Exactly. And you want... Vice versa. Exactly. And I think that's why they're a great duo in regards to, you know, hero and villain, is because they're equally matched, right? Batman's this great detective, and the Joker is just kind of criminally, insanely genius, right? But it's his... His intellect and creativity goes to how he can create chaos, whereas Batman is trying to prevent chaos. So they're perfect for each other, right? They're exactly. Yin and yang. And yeah. to have one without the other, it just doesn't work. It's just weird. It lacks yeah. entertainment value, even though it could be amazing acting or whatever. You know, I like a little more entertainment value as well in my, my films, not just crazy people killing people. Um, and you're right. It's so weird that it's set in its own universe. It's not connected to anything. It's, it's just uh, sometimes it's I don't know what what to... what the C- DC is doing. Like I don't understand because it's not even connected to the universe that the the Batman that just came out last year is in, no. as far it's as I know, a, right? Yeah, which it's is a even, different universe than the James Gunn Batman, or right? Gunn DC universe that's getting ready to start. So it's just very confusing. Oh, DC, but we we digress here. Let's bring it yeah. to. Uh, Let's turn it back to the rest of the cast. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like the, there's it's not a huge cast. I think a lot of it is a, you know three or four characters. Richard Harris was a great Marcus Aurelius, I thought. Um, but honestly, he was just doing uh, Dumbledore, Dumbledore as, as Caesar, right? That's Dumbledore kind of the same thing. Caesar are the same people. They were yeah. the same person. They talked the same, you know. And then Maximus was just his Harry Potter. So that's... yeah. It, uh, I mean, he did fine. He he did fine, but nothing special about that performance. He he definitely his performance is Dumbledore ish. He's a he's a father figure, I think, on purpose in Gladiator because Maximus and Commodus are kind of his two sons, right? So you really get that in the first twenty minutes of the film. It's very clear that he favors Maximus. He doesn't favor his own son Commodus, and that's just a point of tension that gets blown up throughout the whole film. But, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't need to touch on many other actor actors in the film. Oliver Reed, he was a, a, a prominent, I think, actor back in like the '60s. Right. He actually passed away during the filming of this film. The right. He died too. Yeah, because they had to change some scenes because of that, and so they had to use a stunt double. They did some CGI. They had to rewrite the ending. So. Because originally, I think Proximo was supposed to survive, and he was going to be like one of the ones that carries Maximus out of the Colosseum. Yeah, but I also read I, that he was going to have a fight. Um, 
blacksmith in one of the one of the diversions as well. Oh yeah, that's right. I did read that as well, where they're going to be forced to fight each other. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you know, I always say, especially good directors, like when you're brought up against adversity, which a lot of times it's either, you know, budget cuts or you don't have the money to do something and you have to do it a different way. Oliver Reed died, so they had to change the story. And I thought they did it justice. I think most people who are, you know, who aren't film buffs like us and kind of know the behind the scenes probably didn't even know Oliver Reed died during production and that they had to change some scenes in there. It just seemed like just part of the natural movie, right? It just seemed like that's the way it was always going to be. Yeah. So yeah. if you if you look closely, you could probably tell the scenes that were like, you know, kind of you can tell fish together, uh, yeah, so to speak, because he had he had to be, you know, they had to work around that. Yeah, and it was, you know, the technology back then was good, but not as good as it is now. So you can definitely see the scenes where you can see where they kind of CGI'd some his face on another actor, right? Yeah, yeah, and exactly. But I thought Oliver Reed, he was he was fine. He was he passable. Nothing too spectacular. Um, Digimon Hansu. He, you're right. He's been in a lot of stuff. It seems like the guy doesn't age at all. He looks the same almost. Pretty much. Pretty right? much. Right? But you're right. This is the first time I remember seeing him in a movie. I don't think I'd seen him in anything else before Gladiator. And it's not a big role, but he he does a good job. You know, he's kind of... He um, befriends Maximus when, when they're gladiators together. And, you know, he has the last line in the movie. So... Not a huge role there, but he does a fine job. But I want to talk about Connie Nielsen because I think... All right, let's do it. She, I think, is the emotional... Other than Russell Crowe, she's the emotional soul of this movie, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think her... You know, Lucilla's main motivation is obviously she's trying to protect her son. Yeah, and you feel that. You feel that. That's like her, her main fear and focus is like protecting her son. Right against against her her own brother, her own brother, who's you know, and then is twisted. He's got these lustful thoughts about incestuous thoughts about his sister, and I think Connie Nielsen does a great job of, you know, the way she feels about it. She's obviously cringing on the inside, and she hate, and she does a good job of portraying that because I cringe like whenever like there are those scenes together. She, I think it's it's just a you know, a testament to the job that Connie and Joaquin do together. You can just feel that, you know, his just almost kind of crazy incestuous thoughts and her revulsion to it, even though it's not because he, she's got to protect herself as well. Right. So she can't outwardly. Yeah. Show it like to, just to deny him outright. Right. She so she's got to, yeah, she kind of has to put up with it. Right. And I think that's a very hard job the way she kind of, walks that tightrope between just being outright disgusted on her face and still trying to, well, I got to put up with this guy because otherwise my son is going to die yeah. or he'll you know, kill, me. Gonna, he'll kill my son. Or, right. Yeah. He'll, he'll use my son against me. So I just think she does a really, really good job. Her, you know, the, the scenes that she has with Maximus, you can see the fact that, you know, that she used to love him or, I think it's implied that they used to love each other a long right. time they ago. They had a previous relationship. Relationship, right. And she does say at one point that I loved you, you right. know, before Maximus died. So they did have a prior love right. affair. So, and a lot of her scenes, it's just, 
it's a lot in the face, you know, and it's a lot of restrained. And I think sometimes to do that restrained loathing like she does with Commodus and she's got to have that restrained with Maximus because she knows Maximus doesn't love her anymore, right? Because Maximus is doing all of this because of his wife and son who were murdered. So she knows that they don't have a thing anymore, but she still obviously loves him. I mean, I think that, and she does a great job of being conflicted that I still love this man, even though I know he doesn't love me, but I'm not going to, you know, make it too obvious. She just does a great job of walking that tightrope for both characters, right. for Maximus and Commodus. So right. I, I just think she's a big emotional heart of this movie as well. And yeah, we yeah. should give her some credit for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I don't think she was nominated for an Academy Award for this movie, so. but I think she should have been. And I don't know much about her before or even after this film, up until she, you know, appeared in some DC films as Wonder Woman's mom. Right. Um, uh, as one of the Amazonian, Amazon, Amazons. Hippolyta. She plays There you Hippolyta. go. There you yeah. go. She's, she's an appearance in Wonder Woman, I think Justice League, and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, you're right. Everything you said is spot on. And I, I don't know, though, if I agree with Backspin's doesn't love her. He, I think he still has some, you know, some deep down feelings for her. Maybe it's not like his feelings for his wife, but I don't know. I think there's just something still there in his heart that he, he does connect with her. And I think, yeah. well, I think he, he definitely cares for her. He cares for her, right? for sure. He he definitely cares for her. They do share that kiss. Yeah. They share that I kiss think. at the end. So he, right, I think he does care for her. I'm glad they don't explore, like, I'm glad they don't do anything sexual in the movie because I just feel like that would have cheapened a little bit because Maximus's entire motivation for most of this movie is he wants to avenge his wife and son, right? That's the only thing he's living for. He wants to kill Commodus to avenge his wife and son. Yeah. And I think to to have him kind of have a, a, you know, either reignite that relationship with Lucilla would have kind of watered that down and cheapened it a little bit. So I'm glad they didn't go that route. Because I felt like there were times that they might, but I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad they pulled away from that. Yes, I think it's, their relationship is like, they have enough moments together on screen where it like accomplishes everything you've talked about. You know a little bit about their history, but not, not everything. And you can see what she's trying to accomplish and how she cares for Maximus, but how he has to play it a certain way. So, and I, I like that too. I like when you don't know everything about the characters. All you're, you, you, you get like a little bit of information and you kind of fill in the gaps yourselves. Um, but there was actually a rumor I, I read online where it is a rumor or maybe implied that maybe Lucius is actually Maximus's son. Yeah, I've read um, that too. So I don't know if that's actually true. Maybe the the sequel will tell us in uh, the next film. But uh, oh gosh. if you think about I'll that, have to. it's weird to think about if, if Maximus knew that or not. Or if he thought right. That. Well, we'll talk about that later when, about the sequel. We will. What sequel? Don't yeah. Yeah. Let's do this, Troy, though. Before we go any further, you know what time it is. It is time, and it's your turn for the good old popcorn plot. Uh, this is where we do the plot of the film, listeners, in 60 seconds or less. Believe it or not, it is a difficult task. Only few have done it. Um, I've done it once. I Troy's done it once or twice. But most of the time, we do go over, and it's not easy. On this film, 
I don't know. I think Troy has a pretty good shot of doing it in 60 seconds or less. I will get the timer ready. Troy, are you ready to do the popcorn plot for Gladiator? Uh, yes. Give me a countdown. Yes. All right. And you're starting in five, four, three, two, one, go. Maximus, who is a general in the Robin Legionnaires, is um, betrayed by Combatus, who is the son of Marcus Aurelius, who has named Maximus to become the ruler once he passes away. But Commodus kills his father and um, murders Maximus's family and believes he has Maximus killed, but Maximus is not killed. He is instead, um, he escapes and is sold into slavery and forced to become a gladiator where Maximus thrives. He rises through the ranks and he eventually makes his way to Rome where he becomes popular with the people and he reveals himself to the emperor who is he's jealous and he wants to get rid of Maximus, but um, he realizes that the people love him and it's not the easiest thing to do. But eventually Maximus and Commodus confront each other and Maximus has a chance to reclaim um, and get vengeance for his murdered wife and son and kills Commodus and he gets his revenge redemption and dies. The end. All right. You did go over, but how far over did you think you went? I don't know. How far over did I go? Uh, you were at one minute and 25 seconds. Ah. Oh. I, I know it goes so fast when you're just uh, when you're the one that has to do it. It does. Okay, but you did good job. Not bad. Considering this movie is two hours and thirty minutes long. Yeah, to do it in one minute again, this is a tough task, and this is why it's it's fun to do because it's hard. We challenge ourselves here. It is. It is hard, but close. I got it close. I mean, essentially, this film it's about. <laughs> The cool thing about this film too is that it takes place in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, the Colosseum is probably a character in and of itself. I should have maybe listed that in the cast. Um, you get a really good glimpse into Rome and the Colosseum, and how that might have looked back in the day. It's not a historically accurate film, uh, but no. a story that takes liberties with some characters that, uh, in, the, in the Roman Empire. But uh, your your plot was pretty good. I liked it. You did not get it under 60 seconds, but that's okay. And I would say, again, it's really about Commodus and Maximus. It's a, At its heart, it's about them two and Commodus's rise to power through um, manipulation and greed. And, his and murder. And murder and all these bad things, conniving. Or he loses his power amongst the people to his quote unquote brother, Maximus, who is selfless and for the people and rises to power as a slave or a gladiator through the people. So there's kind of like a lot of like opposites and happening in their, you know, dichotomy, I guess you could say. Um, but even in the first 10 minutes of the film, it's very evident how different Maximus and Commodus are. Commodus is the son of Caesar. He's, and you know, he feels entitled. He doesn't connect with the people. Maximus is a 
a, a soldier, a general. He connects with his uh, his soldiers. He's well, like he, a, you know, and be, before he was a manager, a man of people. Yeah, he was a farmer before he was a soldier too. So yeah, and he connects with not only his soldiers and the people. He's likable in that way. You can see in just little little instances in the, in the film, the first ten minutes. But he has a great relationship with Caesar at the time, Marcus Aurelius. It's almost like a father-son relationship. And the that relationship is, is not there between Commodus and Caesar. Um, there's some cases in that film, the first in the first scene where uh, Joaquin Phoenix, a Commodus, shows up at the end of the battle and tries to like, you know, have a have a conversation with his dad, his Caesar, but Caesar kind of, you know, doesn't really give him the time of day and doesn't really pay much attention to him, and he, he's really more uh, into thanking Maximus and like giving him, you know, you know, more of that father son relationship. So you really, really get that a lot in the film, um, and it's just, it's just kind of carries throughout the end um, between them in the ultimate fight at the end. But I don't know. I, I think that's at, at its heart, it's between those two, those two guys. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah, there is. I mean, you're right. When you first, when Commodus and Maximus kind of see each other for the first time in the movie, you know, they greet each other kind of as equals, almost as brothers. Mm-hmm. And But I think that's also more because Commodus knows the esteem that his father holds for Maximus. Right. I think if it, if it wasn't for his father, Commodus would hate this guy regardless, right? Because he sees him as a better version of himself. He knows, he probably at this point knows his sister loves him and that father the, the, his father, the people love him. So even though he's kind of, you know, he embraces him, I think deep down he really hates this guy. Even though he's like, oh, you're like my, you're like a brother to me, but he, he definitely hates this guy. He still expects to be named Caesar. Right. Which kind of like sets the whole plot in motion when that doesn't happen. Right. So I think that it's also evident in the fact that not only does once Commodus kills his father and names himself emperor, you know, he gets, he orders Maximus to be executed and just, it seems like out of spite, he murders his wife and son and not just murders them. He crucifies them and burns them alive. So just really, I mean, Vicious, evil, evil ruthless, yes. yeah, evil stuff. Terrible person. And right. he's not like a brute guy. He's not like a, he's not a warrior, but he has, he like flexes the authority and power he has in very maniacal, evil ways. And he has greed and ambition. He actually, as it turns out, is a good swordsman. He is skilled in, in different areas, but he's not a warrior. He's not like a, a Maximus type who right. is physical, you know, being. So there's that difference between them as well yeah he doesn't mind finding other people as long as he knows he um can manipulate it so that he's the superior fighter right mm-hmm. um and he creates power maximus does not he does and he makes sure that maximus is wounded before he challenges him in the arena because he knows he's no match but he wants the people to think that he's a match and think that he's brave, that he's going up against the great Spaniard, the great Maximus. So, yes, he's very conniving. He kind of, he almost 
you know, obviously he he has no problem with incest. He has no problem, you know, falling in love with his sister and thinking lustful things about. But he almost seems like he's a product of incest, right? He's got that crazy kind of, you know, inbred perspective on life. It seems like to me. So two thousand years ago, you never know. Yeah, you never know what that Marcus Aurelius, you know, freaking Dumbledore. He probably yeah, pure blood, man. Can't have my bloods running around. Exactly. (laughs) So how crazy would it be if if Lucius was actually Marcus's son. Oh, didn't even think about that. <laughs> so, didn't even think about that. Yeah. But it is weird how, like, Lucius is, you know, the son of Lucilla, but you don't really... The the fact that they wrote it that way were, like, his father is, like, non-existent, right? His father died, you know, right. years ago, whatever, which is kind of a throwaway thing, but, like, why they why they make that choice, you know? I don't know. Well, apparently... That we'll find out in the sequel because I think the sequel focuses on Lucius. The story of Lucius, like 20 years after the events of Gladiator. We might as well just talk about it now because the the cats have the bad. There is a sequel coming out this year, Gladiator. It's it's titled Gladiator 2. It's probably going to name something else. And when it's actually. God, I hope so. (laughs) But I don't know. Like, I don't know if this really needs a sequel because it does. It's complete. It does. It's a, it's a money grab. It's twenty years later, twenty four years later. Like, what are you gonna say? What are you gonna do? It's gonna build upon this story that's already complete in the first. You movie. know, at first I thought when I heard that another Gladiator movie was coming out, I thought they were doing a remake, right? Mm-hmm. And so I thought that's what this was going to be. Oh, they're redoing it. And even then, I was I, it kind of you know put a bad taste in my mouth because I thought, why are they remaking this already? And the first picture was already perfect. You don't have to remake it. It's too soon. Yeah. And your best character is dead. Yes, exactly. So then when I found out it was a sequel, I thought, oh, God, what, you know, do we need a sequel to the story? Like you said, it's wrapped up. Gladiator is about. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. You know, Maximus's story is over. And do I really care about Lucius and and if if that's what it's about, I I don't know too much about it, but I hear it's gonna talk about Lucius and he and yeah him twenty years later and him trying to find out about his father and everything. So right, right. I I I mean, are you gonna go and see it? I'll probably wait for the um, streaming version. And the cast has been announced. It's it's okay. You have Connie Nelson Nielsen returning. Um, Pedro Pascal is gonna be in it. He's Pretty good actor these days. Does good films. Yeah, Paul Mescal is like playing Lucius. You also have Denzel Washington, Joseph Quinn. Um, you know, really is is doing it. I don't know who's doing the score, of course, but I don't know. You know, I I don't think it's Hans Zimmer doing the score. So that's another that's another. Mark, it was. I think I would know that. I would know that because I I kind of keep an eye on Hans Zimmer is doing next, and this is not on the list. I just feel this movie is unnecessary, and we'll see. I don't have any burning when Gladiator the first time I saw Gladiator in the theater, I didn't come out of that theaters thinking, Oh, I wish they'd make yeah, a part two is next. <laughs> yeah. I just did not think that. It was it's a complete movie. It's it's done. And it just sucks that Hollywood has no original ideas that they've got to go back and be like, Oh, well, let's see if we can mine more stuff out of you know, Gladiator, and 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 use that movie's popularity and its prestige to try and get 
you know, make more money. To me, it's just a money grab and it, I'm a little nauseated about it. I think we should do a podcast on it, Troy, when it comes out and, uh, we'll give our listeners all the goods, all the inside information. But that means I would have to watch it. I know. It's okay. You can spare the, the $15 and for the podcast, right? Okay. Do it. Well, let's go back to talking about Gladiator. <laughs> talk about the good version. Yeah. Yes. Um, Another another thing we like to talk about in this film, in this film, we talk about in this podcast, Troy, is, and it's a new new segment, is the popcorn plot holes, where we talk about what are the plot holes in each film we are discussing. And today, you know, is a great film, of course, one best picture, uh, amongst other other nominations it had. But no film is perfect. Okay, maybe there are some that are perfect. But this film probably even has some plot holes as well. Harder to find. But did you find any plot holes in in Gladiator that were probably not glaring, but, uh, you know, evident? I think there's a couple, but I think the one that is the most problematic for me mm-hmm. is the fact that when that somehow Lucilla is talking about the Gladiator Rebellion or how, you know, they're going to free Maximus and he's going to you know, go find his army and come back and overthrow the emperor. But she talks about this around her son who spills the beans to Commodus. And I just think up until this point, Lucilla has been very good. I just told you how great Connie Nielsen has been about walking that tightrope. And she's been very good about, I got to, I'm doing this to protect my son. Right. But then she's very loose lipped somehow and talks about this where Lucius can hear it. I don't know if she tells him directly, but obviously Lucius has heard it somehow because he the plane fighting and like yes, like I'm Maximus, the savior of Rome, and right in front of Commodus, who like says, "Well, who told you that?" And then you find out. Then he, you know, he has that famous little busy little bee speech, right? With with so right, so that whole plot is just destroyed. If they actually filmed that scene where she does make it, you know, slip it out to Lucius that, you know, she calls Maximus the savior of Rome, or if it was always intended to be an off-camera thing. Right. Um, but it's a weird she, little little plot. Yeah. It just doesn't, it doesn't go along with her character. She's been so careful, right? She is doing all of this in secret, and she's been doing this great job of walking that tightrope where she's got to, you know, look like she's supporting her brother when Behind the scenes, she's not. She's talking with the senator, Gracchus, I think his name is, and, and talking about how they can, you know, use the popularity of Maximus to overthrow Commodus. Yeah. And and she just, like, she's flipping and talks about it. Like I said, they don't show it on they don't the screen how, how he finds yeah. out. But obviously, she, he had to have found out from his mother, right? It makes you wonder, too, because when Commodus asks him, where did you hear that, you don't. Ear, he whispers it. Yeah. Say, I heard it from my mom. You kind of right. assume that's what he says. Right. So maybe she, we don't know, we're all guessing. Maybe she was talking to one of the senators and he overheard her. And I um, think that's either way. Implied, kind of, right. Either way, it's kind of careless on her part, whether she told right. just directly or he was eavesdropping on a right. conversation, you know, because she was so careful with everything else. Right. So and, uh, that kind of ruined, uh, that kind of sealed the fate for good old Max. Right. And I just felt like that just wasn't in character with Lucilla. I, I don't think she would have done that um, because she's been so careful and making sure that 
her brother is unaware of what she's plotting behind his back. Yeah. And the other... Let me throw one at you, too. Yeah. I I thought of here. It's not even in our notes, but... I don't know, man. I think it's a movie, of course. We go along with it. But Combatus had multiple opportunities to just kill Maximus at any point in that movie. And it would have been problem solved, so to speak. I mean, he does say at one point, you know, I will not make a martyr of him, of Maximus. But who cares? Make it, you know, the crowd will move on in, in two things. Exactly. They won't even remember, you know, Maximus, you know, but he lets Maximus keep living and winning these battles in the, in the, in the Coliseum. His legend keeps growing. His popularity keeps growing. He could have just killed Maximus at any point, but he right. decides to let him live. Then he decides, oh, I'll just fight him because he can't defeat me. You know, I'll wound him and I'll, I'll still win the fight. The people will see that I'm the better person. So I think the lack of, you know, the simple answer just been to kill Maximus early on. It wouldn't have been the, the gladiator movie we know, but, you know, come on. That's what yeah. Said. I think the second that Maximus revealed himself, which actually me as a, the first time I saw the movie and he reveals himself pretty soon into the movie. Like, I think it's not even like what, not even halfway through the movie, he reveals that he's the gladiator. I thought he was going to be behind the scenes the whole time. And Commodus doesn't know who this gladiator is. And then that would be the big reveal at the end, right? He's like, ah, look at I'm Maximus and I'm coming to yeah. get my revenge. And then Commodus would be like, I thought you were dead, blah, blah, blah. But it's revealed pretty early on, right? It's after that first fight. And you're right. I just thought, well, why Why did he, re- I mean, he didn't have a choice, but yeah, he told him to why did, it. yeah, why didn't Commodus just kill him right then? I know the crowd was like, let him live, but. This was the yeah. first fight. He his popularity wasn't that. I mean, he just yeah. got more popular after that, right? They would have defeated Commodus. For, yeah, they would have booed him, but they would have forgot about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The crowd is fickle, right? <laughs> it's all bread and circuses. So you're right. It makes no sense that he just didn't kill him as soon as he found out who he was. Yeah, that's what he should have done. He should have done that. And another thing, it was it was also convenient for the film that Maximus is pretty much in exile in the middle of a desert in this shithole of like a um you know poor man's coliseum killing and then surviving as a gladiator in the middle of nowhere in proximo's um establishment and as a convenience it just so happens that commodus decides to oh you know to win the people over let's bring back these games to the coliseum and bring back these shows and amongst these shows of gladiators so it just worked out that proximo got called back to Rome in the Colosseum at that exact time. I don't, a little, I mean, not a plot hole to say, but just a convenient part of the film that he yeah, yeah, back at the right time. It is very convenient that, yeah, that Maximus would happen to be part of his his slaves and yeah. able to to, to do this. Call back to the right to the Colosseum because they're putting on these games, these like 100 well, days of games, right, to honor the late Cerulius. And keep in mind, in the movie that Maximus had never been to Rome before. He, right. he, this, you know, him getting called there as part of the Vegas was the first time he had ever been to Rome, too. So, yeah, it was very convenient that he just happened to fall into Proximo's um, gladiatorial school, I guess, and, and get called into the, the Coliseum. So, but you have another bottle, one more that you wanted to talk about, right? About well, the, 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 only other, the only other thing... Because I pretty much think Gladiator is almost, it's 
almost a perfect movie, right? And even these plot holes that we're talking about, they're really minor and but the only other thing that had me thinking was that once Maximus or you know Marcus Aurelius is killed and Commodus has Maximus um taken off to be executed, mm-hmm. his army never really tries to figure out what happened to him. Like Yeah, and he's like their leader. He's their general, he's like, right? And and he's popular. They love him, right? He's like a beloved general. Yeah, he's won them and, all these battles. Yeah. Right. And they never try to figure out what happened to him. They just, and it's never really explained in the film. Like, did they just say, oh yeah, he was killed, but they never say how. And you would just think the army just goes and camps themselves in this city and does nothing and never really questions what happens to Maximus. And because, I mean, I think if it were, if they did find out or if they, I think they would have investigated, right? And figured out that, oh no, he was murdered. And I think they would have went and tried to get answers yeah. for that. But it's just, yeah, it just seemed weird that his army never tried to to figure and, what happened. weird when Maximus does get back to Rome and like, you know, probably months, maybe even years later, who knows how long he was out there in the desert with Proximo and time he gets back to Rome in the Colosseum. He, his uh, uh, assistant guy, Cicero, he asked Cicero like, oh, how's my army doing? Like oh they're they're doing good they're bored they're they're fat and how quickly could they be ready and for you they'll be ready tomorrow it's like oh, yeah. okay <laughs> yeah exactly go send them word of a live and they'll come right down here exactly doing all this stuff exactly so you would think that they would have tried to figure out what happened to them or or what the details were so I just thought that was kind of strange and yeah it just seemed like it was a little too convenient that the army just like oh okay he's gone <laughs> yeah we are uh, you know. We're nitpicking a little bit. I think the movie, it's almost perfect. I, I don't know. I, I don't think it holds up for me as well as some of the other like really top-notch A-plus films the past 30, 40 years. I don't know why. Maybe I shouldn't enjoy it as much as I, I did when it first came out in the 2000s. I remember when it came out, the first 10 years, from 2000 to 2010, anytime that movie is on TV, I bought the DVD, watch it over and over again. Like, But now it's like, I don't know why. It's just it doesn't really get me going as much as some other films, like a like a Back to the Future or a Jurassic Park or a Jaws or some other like really A plus plus films. Well, the thing about Gladiator too. So this was movie was kind of the resurgence of the sword and sandal epic, right? Because before that, yeah, before that, you know, there was Spartacus, which came out in the fifties. Ben-Hur, which is also in the 50s. So that used to be a big genre, right? The big sword and sandal epic. And then it kind of went away. And I think Gladiator kind of was brought it back. Because after Gladiator, there was a lot more of the... Some directed even by Ridley Scott. A lot of the, the epic historical sword and sandal type movies. Yeah. Like the so, movie. yes. And, you know, Alexander and and things like that. Yeah, so, so like a Kingdom of Heaven or something like that? Maybe. Yes. King with the... Cool. Orlando Bloom. <clears throat> yes, which is about the Crusades and things. So I think this movie triggered that, and there was such a... Of course, Hollywood, is, they're going to go with what's successful. Gladiator was successful, and so they wanted to make more movies like Gladiator. So, But Gladiator was, I think, responsible for the resurgence of those type of movies. And I still feel that none of the movies that came after Gladiator that was inspired by it or, you know, these epic, 
are as good as Gladiator. I think one thing Gladiator had as well is these type of movies are generally male dominated, right? That's a demographic that would normally see these movies. It would be like, oh yeah, this is an epic battle, you know, um, sword fighting and, and, you know, just heads being chopped off. But I saw this with my ex-wife and she knew nothing about the movie and she really didn't want to see the movie to begin with. She was just like, oh, just sounds like, you know, a typical male action movie. But she loved it. I think she was, you know, just as exuberant about the movie as I was at the end of it. And I think that was part of the success about this movie is that it was had a wide audience that loved it, right? Male and female, I think, loved this movie because there was the emotional heart of it. There was the effect that he was doing this for his murdered family. That was his big motivation. And, you know, that kind of weird... Uh, the, the kind of love triangle almost between Lucilla and him. And I think that brought in a lot of female audiences. I think this was the first kind of sword and sandal epic that also appealed to a female audience as well. I mean, does Erin like this movie? Has she seen it? She watches, she's watched part of it as I was watching. I didn't really watch it with her together this time. I don't, I don't get her opinion on it. I don't think it's one of her big movies that she enjoys. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It does it does have a lot of heart, I think, to it. One of the cool things about it too that I really enjoyed was like the whole win the crowd, you know, element as like an athlete or a performer, you know, having crowd and like winning the crowd and defeating your enemy and going in for the kill or all these like analogies, like that's a pretty cool mindset, I think, as a, a young adult. Maybe that I'm older now, I don't really compete in anything, like win the crowd and uh doesn't really get me uh, get me going. I did relate more as an older person to like somebody losing their family. Right, that almost had me in tears. Just like him going through that experience of losing his not just losing them, but how he lost them, his wife, right, and his kid, his little boy. You know, I have little boys and wanting to see them again, right. And what would you do for that? And in a sense, he kind of doesn't even care in a, in a lot of ways. He they kind of like. He doesn't care if he dies. I mean, that gives him strength because he knows if he dies, he's going back to them. I don't feel like, I think it's part of that and part of like he's trying to avenge them as well. Once he goes, he knows he has the ability to avenge them. He kind of gets stronger in that way, that way as well. But um, yeah, maybe the sword and sandal thing is just not what it used to be. Um, like you said, you know, what's your other favorite like sword and sandal film besides this one? Did you have one that comes to mind? Um, I mean, I do like Troy a lot, and okay. not just because it's my namesake, but I, I've okay. always, I've always loved the the Iliad, just that story, and then the movie. I know a lot of people like to hate on the movie, but I thought the movie was was good, and you know, it's kind of epic. It, it came out after Gladiator, yeah, and so I enjoyed that movie. I think that would probably be. If I'm talking about sword and sandal epics that have come out in the last 20 years, I think that would probably be my second favorite movie. Um, yeah, some good quotes out of that film as well. Just like, just like Gladiator, some things that that Achilles says about kings and you know battles and right the gods and all that stuff. And I, that's kind of some cool stuff that comes out of Troy. It's similar to Gladiator a little bit. So, but you know, Gladiator, I just felt was a complete picture. Right? It's 
It's got great action sequences. That opening action battle is just epic. The the Colosseum scenes, the gladiator scenes are just those are also classics. And yeah, there's a lot of, you know, lines that are I mean, I don't know anybody who if you go up to them and say like, Are you not entertained? Don't know what movie that shot. Are you not entertained? Right. Yeah. So I think that is just a classic line and almost anybody can tell you what movie that's from. I think that's probably its most quoted line. Yeah. Um, and then the best Decimus Meridius line, or not a line, but like a little mini monologue his, there. Yes, his, his reveal there. Father, really mother, son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have vengeance in this life or the next. But, you know, actually one of my favorite quotes, too, is from Commodus when he's like, he vexes me. I'm terribly vexed. Terribly vexed. Yes. So, because it's almost perfect for him, right? It's like, yes, he would say that. That's something that he would say about yeah. the whole situation. So, um, but yeah, I I think Gladiator is is an almost perfect movie in the sword and sandal. I think it's my favorite sword and sandal movie. Um, I would think my second favorite is probably Spartacus. I really enjoy that movie a lot as well. Um, I it's an older movie. I don't know if you've seen it with Kirk Douglas. No, I've never seen it all the way through. Never seen it. But also directed by the great Stanley Kubrick. So oh, there you go. You should watch that if you haven't seen it all the way through. I oh, I am a Spartacus. That was from but my there was also a series on Epic called Spartacus, which was mm. based on the same story, which I've always been kind of fascinated with, you know, the ancient Rome, the Crusades, those kind of yeah. sword, sword and sandal. Would you, would you consider... Three hundred, a sword and sandal film. I would. Yeah, I do like that film a lot. That's probably it's one a, of my other favorite ones. It's very stylized. It's almost yeah, because um, you know that's also based on a graphic novel by Frank Miller. So a lot of what um, Zack Snyder did for that, he took straight out of the comic book, but he made it cinematic. And yes, I do like that movie a lot. I actually forgot that that could be considered a sword and sandal epic, but I do like, you know. I mean, I like action movies and the the epic battle scenes with swords. I think, you know, that's a big reason why I like the Lord of the Ring movies. You know, they have those big epic yeah. sword battles as well. Um, and But I think Gladiator was the first recent one that actually had really great action. You know, it, it used the CGI technology of its time to great effect. You know, those scenes of Rome and the Colosseum or stunning fantastic even though yeah. nowadays they could probably do it a lot better probably but having been to the coliseum the last few years that was kind of cool to like yes to compare it, being there it, and what it's on in the movie is i've heard it's a lot smaller in real life than what it looks like in the movie it is smaller but then half of it is like a rotor away so it's right. like you know it's not all there like it was but um it still feels i mean it's one of the seven wonders of the world and when right. you're there, you really feel that. And you're just, you're in awe of the structure and how old it is and how it was even built and what took place there. Um, it would have been cool if I would have been to the Coliseum before seeing Gladiator, but, you know, that doesn't work out in terms of my age and the timelines. But uh, if you get a chance to go to the Coliseum in Rome or visit Rome at all, it's it's amazing. It's like a different planet. Yeah, that's definitely on my bucket list. I would definitely love to go to Rome and yeah. see the Colosseum. You feel like you're like in a movie, you're like in a historical movie or something. It's just not real life, but it, it's so much fun. 
Rome is great. But Gladiator, man, it's like you said, it's it's an epic film. We love epic films that that get recognition and awards. Um, it's a total popcorn society film. We love big movies like this that uh, are entertaining, have action, have heart, uh, are popular amongst the people, and win the crowd. And great score. One of the best scores. And great score. He and I, um, we are on the score on Zimmer fan club. Uh, and it did win. It won Best Picture. It won Russell Crowe. One Best Actor. It also won Best Costume Design, Best Sound, Best uh, Visual Effects, and nominated for probably half a dozen others. But uh, good stuff, Troy. I think we, we can keep keep going on and on about Gladiator and Hans Zimmer. We still have podcasts on Zimmer. And everything, but uh, let's keep this going in terms of award season. Uh, let's talk about another film, our films in our next few podcasts that have won Academy Awards for Best Picture. And for our next episode, I'm excited about this, and I'm sure you are too. We are going to dive into some Lord of the Rings mythology. Is that correct, Troy? Are we going to dive into Middle Earth? Yes, for weird societies. We are going to talk about The Return of the King. Mm-hmm. Which did win Best Picture. It won Best Picture. And I'm sure I can't wait to talk about this movie and the series in general. Um, I'm a big fan. Big fan of Peter Jackson. I'm a big fan of J.R. Tolkien. And I do love this movie. Yes. Good stuff. It did... It, uh... It definitely hits all the notes in terms of movies we like and movies that are appropriate for the award season going back on some past winners of Best Pictures. So stay tuned for our next episode of Popcorn Society. We talk about Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, and we'll talk about the whole trilogy, of course. Um, How can you not when we talk about Lord of the Rings films? And until then, Troy, it's been great. You stay popping over there, my friend. And, uh, you know, we'll talk to you next time. No colonel left unpopped. No colonel left behind. I'm terribly vexed. I'm vexed. Am I not merciful? Are you not entertained? All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye, everyone. He was a soldier of Rome. Honor him.